Please pray with me. Father, this morning we ask that you would give us understanding into your word, into what it means, and what it means for our lives to live that word out. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. How would you like to have $25 million? Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Are you thinking about what you would do with that money? I am. You know, it's easy to think that if we had that kind of money, all our problems would disappear. A new Boston College study is about to be released. For the first time, researchers have studied the super rich, those with $25 million or more. And the results? It turns out that great wealth does not automatically lead to great fulfillment. In fact, most of those who participated in the study are generally dissatisfied with life. They have deep anxieties about love, work, and their families. They're often not even satisfied with how much money they have. Most of them do not feel financially secure. They say that would require, on average, a quarter more wealth than they currently possess. And we might say, they're crazy. I'd love to have their problems. They're so out of touch. And they probably are. But if we think that having that amount of money would solve our problems, we may be just as out of touch. Or here's another way to look at it. The super rich may have 250 or 500 times as much money as we do. But if you make the median income for a resident of Allegheny County, according to globalrichlist.com, that places you in the top 1% of the world's richest people. There are plenty of Africans or South Americans who would look at our money and say, they have 250 times as much money as we do. Why are they not more content with their lives? The Atlantic Monthly got a sneak peek at this research, and they wrote a great article about it. And this is how Graham Wood, the writer, sums it up. He says, We can always indulge in the thought that a little more money would make our lives happier. And in many cases, it's true. But the truly wealthy know that appetites for material indulgence are rarely satisfied. No yacht is so super, nor any wine so expensive, that it can soothe the soul. When the rich man takes his last sip of Chateau de Yaquim, 1959, that's some uh, French turtle. <laughs> when the rich man takes his last sip of expensive wine, he tips back the wine glass to find at its bottom an unforeseen melancholy. It is as terrifying a realization in the Riviera as it is anywhere else. If the people who have fortunes that we can only dream of are not satisfied with life, if the riches we envy do not produce a fulfilling life, then what will? That's the question we're going to explore today. That's the question we must get to the bottom of if we have any hope of living a fulfilling, joyous life.
what, if anything, will bring us happiness and contentment that lasts? Genesis 12 is our text this morning. And I'd ask you to open back up to page 8 of your pew Bible. And in this text, we're going to see a pattern that leads to a fulfilling life. As I approach this text, I believe this passage is a gift from God. It's a gift from someone who knows us better than we know ourselves. And if we follow the pattern present in Genesis 12, we'll be given another gift from God. A deep, fulfilling life. A life we can barely imagine until we put these principles into practice. Please follow along with me once more as we read these quick verses again. Beginning at verse 1 in chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. Paul, one of the New Testament writers, says, take hold of the life that really is life. These verses show us how to do that. Notice a couple things about this passage. First, God called Abram. He spoke to Abram. God had a specific desire for Abram's life, and God told Abram what that was. You may say to yourself, well, that's a nice story, but that was thousands of years ago. You know, even if God did talk with people a long time ago, you know, he doesn't do that anymore. Consider what happened in 1946. A 36-year-old nun was riding the train, as was her habit, when she heard Jesus' voice. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. No pun intended. All right. As... She was riding the train as was her custom. <laughs> when she heard Jesus speak to her, he told her to leave the school where she was, and she was to gather other nuns who would serve the poorest of the poor. She got off the train. Over the next several months, she heard this voice again, the same message. She talked with supervisors, she prayed with supervisors, she prayed about this, and they came to the conclusion that it was indeed Jesus who was speaking to her. So in response to this call, Mother Teresa established the missionaries of charity that have so famously served the poor and the sick and dying for decades. People from all kinds of religious backgrounds flocked to Mother Teresa to marvel at her work and to marvel at her. How did it all start? One woman was open to hearing God's call on her life. And she responded. Sometimes God's call is very specific. Like it was with Mother Teresa. Telling her where to go and what to do. But other times, God fills in the picture along the way. As he did with Abram. 
Did you see that God didn't give Abram the whole picture right away? He didn't tell him where to go. He didn't even tell him what he would do once he got there. Instead, God simply said, I want you to leave the life that you know. I want you to leave your dream home behind, leave your extended family, your friends, and go to the land that I will show you. What would you miss if you were to move far away? Abram and his wife, Sarah, faced a lot of uncertainty. Would they live in the country or the suburbs or the city? Would God place them in a good neighborhood? What would the school districts be like? Those are all the things we think of when we move, right? And we take them really seriously. But God simply said, pack up and I'll show you where to go. I don't know about you, but the thought of doing that used to scare the bejeebers out of me. The scariest part of responding to God's call is the uncertainty. Until I was in college, I never thought that God might have something specific that he wanted me to do. I knew that he wanted me to not lie and to not steal and to love people. But it had never occurred to me that he might care about my dreams, about shaping them, about what career I would pursue, about what my life mission would be. I don't know what your goals were going into college, but I had some pretty specific ones. I was either going to be a scientist or an entrepreneur. By the time I was a senior, I was going to have a brand new car. When I graduated, I had a series of investments lined up that would return 15% a year, which meant that my money would double every five years. And I had charted out when I would make my first million, my second million, and when I would hit four million. Rock and roll is right. <laughs> you know, but as I read the Bible and listened to professors and classmates who understood that God places a call on our life, I started to think through those things. But before I could say yes, yes, God, do whatever you want with my life. I'll give you control of my future. I had to wrestle with the uncertainties. It's scary to give up control of your life and give that to God. What if on God's list of goals for my life is not accumulating $4 million? What if he wants me to move somewhere where I don't have any friends? What if he wants us to do things that we have never done before and would never dream of doing? I can remember after a long period of wrestling with this, of kneeling in my dorm room one night and saying, God, I don't know what this means but I want to give you control of my future. I want to do whatever you want me to do, whatever that is. Show me what that is. And you know, I, I'm not a great follower of God. I haven't given up and sacrificed great things to follow him. But I can tell you this. Whenever I have stepped outside my comfort zone and said, God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. He has blessed me with an abundance and joyous life that I would have never known otherwise. Jesus said it this way. He said, when you seek to hold on to your life, you lose your life. But when you give away your life, that's when you find life. 
God called Abraham. It was a call full of uncertainties. But he did tell Abram this. Look at verse 2. God said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Abram knew that if he followed God, God would bless him. And we can know that certainty too. If we tell God that we're willing to hand over control of our future to him, we can count on his blessing. But it may not be the blessing of riches or fortunes, but we will be blessed with the abundant life of those who follow him. And notice the purpose in verse 2 of God blessing Abram. He said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Jim Wilson likes to say, anytime God blesses us, it's so that we can bless others. Anytime God blesses us with money, it's so that we can bless others with it. Anytime he blesses us with intelligence or skills or a good education, it's so that we can bless others. One person who understood this really well was Millard Fuller. Millard Fuller was the founder of Habitat for Humanity, which has built over 400,000 homes for people who need them. A couple weeks ago, Johnny Cagwin and Tim Ralfer and I and a, a number of Pitt students were in Columbus, Georgia, building a Habitat for Humanity house. Some of those students are here today. Good to see you guys. We built a house in five days. It was pretty crazy. At the age of 29, Millard Fuller was on the fast track to becoming super rich. He had accumulated a million dollars in assets, which at that time would be $7 million today. And when his accountant told him this, he said, my next goal is 10 million, which would be 70 million today. Millard and his wife upgraded their house to 20 acre estate. They had a full-time maid, new cars, and he bought his wife more clothes and shoes than her closet could hold. But while the fortune kept growing, so did Mrs. Millard's disillusionment. In his own words, Millard Fuller says, Sitting on the edge of our king-size bed one Saturday evening, my wife Linda told me that she did not love me anymore. She announced that she needed to leave town and to think about our future or decide if we even had one together. I was shaken to my foundation. After a sizable period of separation, the Fullers reunited and felt led by God to sell their portion of the business and give all that money to the poor. They moved to a Christian community in Georgia where they rediscovered God's word, heard their calling on their lives, and responded. And the rest is history. When you read Millard Fuller's writings... You're struck by two things. This man understood that God blessed him and his wife in order to bless others. But the other thing that strikes you is the joy and the vibrancy that oozes from his writings. He had received abundant life by responding to God's call and giving his life away. So far in this passage, we've seen that God calls us. We've seen that the path to a fulfilling life is responding to that call. We've seen that there is uncertainty in that call. And we've seen that whenever God blesses us, it's so that we can bless others. 
We're about to see one last thing in this passage. Verse 4 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. God calls us, but he lets us decide whether or not we're going to respond. He lets us decide. If you continue to read verse 4, we're told, Abram was 75 years old. This isn't just for young people. Over the years, many people came to work with Mother Teresa. And a lot of them want to stay and work there permanently. Many of them she took on board. But many of the others, she told them, go find your own Calcutta. And it sounds kind of harsh at first. But she wasn't trying to be mean. She knew that not everyone was called to serve the poor in Calcutta. She knew that God places specific calls on specific individuals' life. And she was saying to them, ask God what he wants for your life. Go find your calling, your Calcutta, and respond to that. Are you willing to find your Calcutta? Are you willing to ask God, God, what is your call on my life? You may have never thought of doing this. Or you may have told God this a long time ago. Even if you have already, I think it's good for us to reaffirm that from time to time. To remind ourselves that, yes, we are willing to go wherever he leads. As you think about this, where are you on the spectrum? On one side, there's, I'm ready, sign me up. And on the other is, no way. And somewhere in the middle is, this sounds really good, but I'm also really scared. Or you might just be thinking, this is really weird. I don't know about this. But what if this is the path to a fulfilling life? Why is it that Charlie Sheen is just the most recent in a long line of celebrities who have imploded? Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears, Michael Jackson, Elvis. They've all made it. They had money, fame, all the sex and drugs they could ever want. Yet they never found abundant life. What if that was because they were never made to be worshipped and they weren't designed to handle that kind of attention? What if it was because they were following their own dreams and never stopped to ask the person who designed them what they were designed for? I'm going to encourage you to ask God this morning what he wants from your life. I believe that just as he told Abram, he'll tell you. If the thought of giving God control of your life is really scary, you can tell him that. Don't make any commitment you're not ready to make. But I encourage you to take one small step to becoming more comfortable to embracing this idea that God has a call for your life 
He wants to communicate it to you. And he wants to see you flourish and vibrant in that life. Let's take a few minutes of silence. And whatever is on your heart and mind as you think about this, lift that up to God and then I'll close us in prayer. Father, I thank you so much that you know us better than we know ourselves. And I thank you that that you spoke to Abram and continue to speak to people today. I pray that you would reveal to each of us what you want for our lives. And give us the courage to act on that call and to take you up on your offer so that we can discover the abundant fulfilling life you give. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.